Hello, and thanks for joining us. We hope you are blessed, encouraged, and challenged by today's message. Welcome to the river. Thank you so much, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity this morning to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, we look around and we see some that are missing. You can let them know that you miss them, but I also believe that the people that are supposed to be here and receive this word this morning are here in this place. Um, if you're tired this morning, if you're worn out, if you're discouraged, I believe you're in the right place. If you've received bad news, if you don't understand the whys in your season right now, I believe you're in the right place and I believe that God has a word of encouragement and hope for you this morning. This morning I am praying that the Lord would help me to share with you a word he's given me called perfecting the promise perfecting the promise. I'm going to read our key verse this morning and then we're going to pray. Philippians 1:6 says, "And I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ." Lord, we're so thankful for your presence this morning, God. I pray this morning, Lord, that your spirit would continue to minister, Lord, that you would draw men and women to you, Lord, that you would lift our eyes up to you. Give us a heavenly perspective. Help me, Lord God, as I try and deliver this word you've given me, Lord. Help me not to get in the way, God, but just let your perfect will be done this morning as you're working, Lord, to perfect the promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, if you haven't heard yet, Ryan and I recently purchased a home. And it is a fixer-upper if you've ever seen one. It was built in 1970, and I believe every part of the house, other than the oven, was the original parts in that house. And let's just say it was not necessarily well cared for. So we have been overhauling this house, everything from literally the ceilings to the floors, just every, and then stuff in the attic and on the roof too. So we've just been overhauling this house. And... It's really important when we have the inspector come, he said, you know, if you're trying to do a lot of the projects on your own, which we are because we like to save money, um, he says the most important thing is to finish it. I see a lot of people, they do the first 80, 85%, and then they leave that last 15 or 20% undone, and it makes all the difference for you to finish the project that you start. I don't know about you, I have been known a time or two to start some projects and not finish them. I get really excited in the beginning. I get this vision of, oh man, I am going to crochet this quilt. Like, and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be, you know, like king size for our, I mean, it's going to be this beautiful king size crocheted quilt or blanket. And I get working and I realize how long just those first two rows take. And I start thinking, I don't know, but maybe, maybe we should switch. Maybe I'll make this for Bella's bed. How about we just shoot for a full size? And then it goes on down to the twin size or the toddler size. And then oh, a baby blanket would be just fine, you know, because the amount of time I'm having to invest and focus I'm having to invest and even the money for the materials that I'm having to invest, sometimes it doesn't, the vision doesn't quite seem worth it anymore those unfinished projects, or I have the best of intentions and I start a project and man, it, it would be awesome. But then life gets in the way. Something about having five kids kind of keeps me from being able to do all these furniture redo projects that I love doing. So they sit in my garage untouched and maybe one day, and then maybe I let them go at the next garage sale because 
Some of them were never even started. And there's a lot, there have been a lot of unfinished projects in my life. But man, the joy and a sense of accomplishment whenever I'm able to actually complete something and look at it and say, look what it was, and now look what it is, and I did that, and it's amazing. There have been some finished projects, but a lot of unfinished. But I want to encourage you this morning, before we even get into the word, that the work that God began in you, while it may look unfinished, he's not going to leave it that way. He is working to perfect it, even now, even when we may not understand it. He is faithful, so very faithful, to complete it, to perfect it. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph. I know many of you know the life of Joseph, but you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read some of the word and some of it I will paraphrase and summarize. Otherwise, um, you guys would be fasting this lunch because Joseph has a lot in the Bible. But I'm going to begin in Genesis 37, verse 3. It says, Now Israel, which was Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him now joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers they hated him even more he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And the story of Joseph begins with a gift of the coat and a dream. And very quickly we see that he was hated for both. He was hated for a gift that was given to him. He was hated for the dream that was given to him. And he was 17 years old as we continue this story. But I'm just going to take a moment to pause here. Some of you are scared to use your gift or to declare your dream because you're afraid that you'll be hated or mocked or judged for it. Do it anyways. What God gave to you, other people may not understand. They're not you and they're not God. Go ahead and trust that promise. Go ahead and trust that dream. Go ahead and use that gift. But he was hated for both, hated for both. He was only 17 years old. He hadn't really done anything wrong. If you think about this, he was hated, number one, because his father loved him more than his brothers. Okay, parents, I'm just going to say this to you. Showing favoritism to your kids does no one any good. It just creates strife. So if, if you're having a struggle with that, pray it through, okay? But Joseph was hated for both. And can you imagine, does anyone remember what it was like to be 17? To the worries of the world, the things that seem so big and so bad. And 
Joseph is given a gift. Joseph is given a dream. Has anyone, any one of you been successful saying, okay, tonight I'm going to dream about this. And then you're, but he's hated for something he had no control over. 17 years old. God had began a work in Joseph, a good work. He was given a prophetic dream that he would indeed rule over his brothers and even his father, but he was hated for it. To the point that when we continue in the story, they sought to kill him. His brothers were tending sheep, and so was Joseph, and his father said, well, aren't your brothers in Shechem? Why don't you go on to them? And as he goes to his brothers, his brothers see him coming afar off, and they begin, they begin to just let that hatred brew, and they're thinking, what can we do? We've got to do something about this Joseph. I can't stand him. I hate him. Who does he think he is? So they begin scheming and they begin plotting to kill him. To kill a 17-year-old, their own brother. Because his father loved him more. Because he received a gift. Because he had this prophetic dream. There was one of his brothers that stood up and said, No, 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 no. Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we'll just throw him in a pit. And then his blood won't be on our hands. And then as he's gone... What ends up happening is the rest of the brothers, if you're familiar with the story, end up selling him to a group of Midianites, and he's sold into slavery or servanthood, however you want to view that, at 17 years old. 17 years old, being obedient to his father to go and find his brothers. He's so despised that his brothers sought to kill him, and then he's sold into slavery. I would ask... Maybe you have too. I'm sure Joseph wondered, where was God in all of this? What was God doing? God is the one that gave Joseph this dream. Where was God? He was working on the promise. He was perfecting the promise that he had given to Joseph. And my first point this morning is that you can trust the promise. You can trust the promise or the dream or the vision that God has given you. That work that he began in you, you can trust it. Maybe you've received a promise or been given a dream. Maybe you don't even understand what it means yet. Maybe others have scolded you for it, discouraged you about it, or mocked you for it. Maybe even your own flesh and blood or those you trusted most have betrayed you. And out of seeds of jealousy, they begin to hate you and try to scheme your demise. Nevertheless, you can trust the promise that God has given you. Maybe in your excitement to share the promise or dream, you've been faced with the harsh rejection, jealousy, and disbelief. But just hold on because he is working and you can trust the promise. I'm going to start reading again in Genesis 39, verse 1. This is after Joseph was sold into slavery it says now joseph had been brought down to egypt and potiphar an officer of pharaoh the captain of the guard an egyptian who had brought him from the ishmaelites who had brought him down there the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man imagine that as a servant or a slave the lord was with joseph and he became successful and he was in the house of the egyptian master his master saw that the lord was with him and that the lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands so joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had the lord blessed the egyptian's house for joseph's sake the blessing of the lord was on all that he had 
in house and field. The Lord was with Joseph, even as a servant, even in bondage, the Lord was with Joseph. This morning in your adversity, in your disappointment, in your derailment, God is with you and he's working on the promise. Then, if you thought things couldn't get worse, just then along comes Potiphar's wife. Here was Joseph as a servant, sold, you know, betrayed by his brother, sold into servanthood. He's trying to be humble in this house and he's trying to do, commit all that he has and all that he does to the Lord. He's humble, submissive, faithful. He didn't deserve to be where he was. And he didn't deserve to be a servant, but he served anyways. No doubt he was hurt. No doubt he was disappointed. But Joseph chose to serve God wherever he was, whatever he was doing. Joseph trusted the promise. Now he had to learn to trust the process. And this process was about to get painful. Because despite his faithfulness, despite his choice to be content where, wherever God had placed him, here comes Potiphar's wife and begins to try and tempt Joseph, trying to seduce him into adultery. And Joseph resists him. Resist her. And he flees from her. First, first he says, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to honor my master. I'm going to honor my God. And she persists until she grabs him by the coat. And he literally flees temptation, runs out of the house. But she had grabbed hold of his coat and kept it. Then she falsely accused him of attacking her, if you're familiar with the story. So when she says this to her husband Potiphar, of course, he is furious that Joseph would dishonor his wife in this way. And immediately he throws him into the prison. Again, what wrong has Joseph done? If I was Joseph, I'd be sitting here. God, you gave me the dream and I was hated for it. I went to my brothers, I was obedient to my parents, and I was thrown into a pit. I was sold, I had become a servant, and I'm trying to faithfully serve you, nevertheless. I'm resisting temptation. I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to honor you in all that I do. What is happening? I'm thrown into a prison now. Where are you, God? What is happening? What is going on? What am I doing wrong? But the Lord was with Joseph and he continued to be with Joseph. And the Bible says that even in the prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And again, he caused Joseph to succeed in the prison. God blessed Joseph in the prison and he was given authority and power even in the prison where he was. And then there came um, two men that had dreams and Joseph, the dreamer became the dream interpreter and he helped interpret these dreams. And he said, okay, but when you go back to Pharaoh's palace, remember me, because this was going to be his ticket to freedom. This was going to be his time to prove that he was a man of God and he was faithful and to get out of this prison. But when they were sent back to the palace, they forgot him again. God, where are you? He was perfecting the promise, but there was a process to the promise. In a couple more years, he was given the an opportunity to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. He successfully does so. He interprets it about there's going to be a famine, and so they need to put, put all of this food into the storehouse to save the people of Egypt so that they don't die of starvation. And just like that, Joseph begins to, he goes from the prison to the palace. It says that Pharaoh gives him command over 
pretty much everything he could ask. He even is given Pharaoh's ring. He's able to do all kinds of things. Joseph rose from the prison to the palace. And here's God working that promise, right? The process of that promise. But think about this for a moment. The keys to the palace were in the prison. Had Joseph still been in Canaan, he could not have risen to the palace. Had Joseph been in the pit or even in Potiphar's house, would he have been given the opportunity to interpret the Pharaoh's dream and then rise to the palace? The key to the palace was in the prison, and it was all a part of the process of the promise. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is working in all things. In the pit, in Potiphar's house, in the prison, and in the palace. He is working on that good work. He is perfecting the promise. In your life, he is working. But catch this, for his purpose. Because while it may be such a great thing to go from the prison to the palace, the work wasn't finished yet. That prophecy had not been fulfilled yet. There is a purpose for the promise God has given you. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a little clue. It's not about you. He has a purpose for you, for your life, for your story, for the promise he gave you, for the dream he gave you. But it's about more than just you. Let's look at Joseph. It wasn't about Joseph prospering in the palace. That wasn't the fulfillment of the promise. God saves and preserves Joseph's family. In the time when the famine comes, all his brothers are sent to Egypt to try and buy grain. And because Joseph was in the palace, he was able to provide for his brothers. And you can read on in the story in Genesis 39, and it goes on. Um, but Joseph is restored with his brothers. He brings peace where there was turmoil. He brings reconciliation where there was strife. He brings joy. He brings love again. He restores a family that was just riddled with hatred and all kinds of issues. And that wasn't even the end of the promise. Not only did God redeem Joseph's story, not only did he reunite him with his father and his brothers, not only did God feed Joseph's family during a time of famine, not only was there reconciliation and hope and peace restored. As a side note, all of that is promised to you. If you're going through a period of strife, if your family's having some hard times, there is hope for peace and reconciliation and restoration. There is nothing too hard for God. But God wasn't even done yet. It wasn't just about Joseph's family. Through Joseph being in the palace, God preserved the family that would become the nation of Israel. And from this nation, the Messiah of the whole world would be born and we would be saved. It's about more than just you. There's a purpose for the promise. More than just prosperity. It's more than just a palace. There's purpose in the promise. Your story is not over yet. God's not done yet. Joseph had said to his brothers, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. He is working. You can trust the promise that he gave you. You can trust that there is a purpose in your promise. Trust the promise that he gave you. Trust the process of the promise. Trust that there is purpose to the promise. I'm going to share with you a story 
from 2019. I had little Hudson. Um, he is my mom's son now. He came to visit me in my house, and he said, Aunt Shayla, I want some cookies. Can we have some cookies? And I said, oh, Hudson, let's have some cookies. He said, okay, where are they? I said, we're going to make the cookies. He said, okay. I said, let's go to the kitchen. He said, okay, where's the cookies? I said, Hudson, we're going to make the cookies. Said, okay, so let's get out all the ingredients. We got out our flour, our oatmeal, our butter, our sugar, chocolate chips, bacon soda, eggs, whatever else you need to make the stuff. And he said, where's the cookies? I don't think he had ever made cookies from scratch before in his life. He was just like two or three. He was a little guy. Um, he had just been with my parents for a little while. He's the sweetest little thing. If you need a pick-me-up, go talk to Hudson. He will, he will make your day. But so we begin to make, I got all the stuff to make these cookies. And he said, where's the cookies? I said, we're going to make the cookies. So I get the butter. He's like, what's that? I said, that's butter. And I get the sugar. We start creaming it together. He said, what's that? I said, that's the sugar. He said, ooh, can I taste it? I said, sure. He said, mmm, that's good. I like sugar. I was like, yeah, most of us do. And so then we begin to add the other things, the vanilla, and then we begin to add the flour. He said, what's that? I said, well, we got to get the flour. He said, oh, I love flowers. I was like, no, not, not those kinds of flowers. This is the kind of flour we cook with. I was like, He's like, okay. And he said, what's next? I said, the oatmeal. He said, oh, I love oatmeal. Oatmeal is my favorite. So we add the oat we add the oatmeal. Then we add in the chocolate chips. And he went, of course, he wants to try those. And I let him. He said, those are so good. Those are so sweet. I said, yes, they are. Yes, they are. He said, where's the cookies? I said, Hudson, we're making the cookies right now. That's what we're doing. We're making these cookies. I said, okay. And then we start to add the baking soda. He said, what's that? I said, that's baking soda. He said, can I taste it? Why not? <laughs> so I let him taste it. He did not like that. You should have seen the look on his face. But I let him taste it. We mix it all together. We begin to scoop it up and we begin to put it on the plates. He says, are these the cookies? I said, yeah, but they're not done yet. Just, just wait. We begin to put them in the oven. And again, he asked me, Aunt Shayla, where's the cookies? I said, Hudson, we're making the cookies. They're in the oven just a little bit longer. But every step of the way, from the time I told him we could have cookies till the time we got to enjoy those cookies together, I was working on that promise I had made to him. From If we were just walking to the kitchen, he didn't see the cookies, but we were working on it. I was gathering the ingredients. He didn't see the cookies. We were working on it. In every step, from the promise to the perfection, you can trust that God is working for you. He is working on a good work that he began in you. And he is faithful to complete it, to perfect it. You can trust the promise or dream that he has given you, even if others don't understand it, even if you're despised for it. You can go ahead and come. You can trust the process. No matter where you are in that journey, the pit, Potiphar's house, the prison, or the palace, sometimes in waiting for our cookies that we want. And man, we want them so bad we can we can almost smell them, we can almost taste them. But we are like, God, where's my cookie? He would not dare give you a package chips ahoy when he's promised you a home-baked cookie. We don't want to counterfeit. We don't want to rush this thing. In this process, there are some good things 
There's some sweet things, that sugar, those chocolate chips that we like. There's some of our favorite things that God throws in even just for fun. Oatmeal's not necessary, but he throws it in just because he knows we like it. Some things that God needs to bring into our story, we don't understand it. We think he's given us flowers, and we don't understand why it's this white powder over here. But this is what we need. We don't need flowers for cookies, no matter how much we like them. It's not part of our story. But then there's things like the baking soda. They do not taste good. They're bitter. They're sour. But they're necessary. They're necessary or we can't have proper cookies. And I want to encourage you this morning. All the necessary parts, no matter how they taste, no matter how they look, whether we understand it or not, they're all a part of the work, the good work that God is doing in you, for you, and not just for you. Hudson graciously shared those cookies with the rest of us. But it's about more than just a cookie. He's got a work that he's doing in your life, through your life, to draw other people to him, to instill hope and encouragement in others. And while those hard times, those bitter times are difficult, without pain, we have no perspective. If life was nothing but highs, how would we understand what a high even was? You have to have the low to compare it to the high. Without depth, there's no perspective. God is doing a good work in you today. And I know it's hard. Most of the process we don't get to see. It's not till the very end that you begin to put these cookies on a pan that you see things starting to come together. Joseph was even in the palace before his brothers even came. And that wasn't the end. There is so much more that God is doing. And this morning, he is faithful. He is faithful to each and every one of you to finish that work, to complete that work until it is perfect for his purpose.